Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today. And I uh, mentioned yesterday that when John invited me, extended the invitation to come back for the discipleship workshop, I was pleasantly surprised um, because I had such a wonderful time last year and uh, just felt so at home here. And it was just good to be able to come back. And we had a we did have a wonderful day. I was telling John, and we had a good group that was here, and I'm just really amazed that we would have uh, 75 folks or however many we had to, who would give up six hours on a Saturday to study Ezekiel. I mean, that tells something about the kind of fiber you guys are. I mean, that's really good. So I, I hope you hear me complimenting you on that. Um, but it was a really good day yesterday, and I look forward to worshiping with you uh, today. I want you to take your Bibles and go ahead and open them to Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. That's where we're going to be this morning, chapters 38 and 39. I want to raise this question. What do you do when you are attacked? What do you do when you are attacked? There was a video uploaded to YouTube a couple years ago that went viral. About 18 million people have seen this video. You might have seen it as well. It's a video of a guy on his bike in the woods when he becomes attacked by a bear. And I'm going to show this video to you. Let's watch this video together here. We can get it to play here. Okay. Let's see if it goes here. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't know if that exactly worked exactly right. Let's do that again. Uh-oh. Okay, there we go. Very good, thank you. Okay, so here's this guy on the bike. He's got a GoPro camera. He's riding along in the woods, minding his business, enjoying the beautiful... Oh, what is that? He sees the bear. Bear's right behind him. And so he's pedaling as fast as he can. He looks back, and the bear is right on his tail. So he's going as fast as he can. He's breathing hard, trying to gain some speed, trying to get ahead of the bear. And here he's going to look back, and the bear's right there, still chasing him. So what's going to happen? So he's going along. He's going as fast as he can, trying to stay focused on being as fast as he can. And what's going to happen? Oh, no, there's something in the road. So he hops off. He runs into the woods, hides behind a tree, hoping the bear doesn't see him. He looks. There's the bear. There's some warning shots in the distance. And the bear runs off. He's safe. And everybody breathes a collective sigh of relief. I have to admit that there are some people who believe that video is not real. That somehow that bear was photoshopped in. You can make your own judge or not. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a fascinating video. 
because it puts us right in the middle of the action and it makes us feel or experience what it might be like to be on our bike, riding through the woods, enjoying our day, minding our own business, and we turn around and there's a bear ready to attack. And what would it be like to be in that situation where when we least expect it, when we don't think anything bad is going to happen, that we turn around and we see there's a bear ready to attack. Hollywood loves having movies that have this kind of plot line. A movie where there's some big catastrophe that's getting ready to happen and nobody expects it and nobody's aware of it. And so there's this big asteroid that's getting ready to crash into an unsuspecting earth, or there's an outbreak of some disease upon a naive populace, or there's some kind of invasion going on in our, in our world, invasion of aliens or something like that, and nobody knows what's going on. We, we love to explore movies and stories where something terrible happens when we least expect it. And, and that's the impact of terrorism, right? What is a terrorist attack? It's where someone does an attack of violence on a group of people who don't expect it, who are just going about their business, who are going about their day, who are going to the airport, who are stepping on a plane, who are going to a sporting event, and then a bomb goes off. And that scares us, and that creates fear, because we start to wonder, when is it going to be our turn? When is it going to be our day? when we're going to that sporting event or we're stepping on the plane or we're going to the airport or we're, going, we're traveling in some foreign country and a bomb goes off and we're the one who's attacked. W.H. Auden says that we live in the age of anxiety. And I think that's true. We live at a time when so many of us are experiencing fear and nervousness and anxiety about what's going to happen and when is it going to be our turn where we're riding our bike through the woods, minding our own business, just enjoying the day and we turn around and there's a bear ready to attack. And what do you do when you're being attacked? I actually think that Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 have something to say about what we should do and what happens when we are under attack. Now, if you weren't here yesterday, I do need to give you a little bit of background about Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel was a prophet called to the exiles, to a group of 10,000 people who were forced to leave their homeland in Jerusalem and go live in Babylon. And they were asking a lot of questions of God, questions like, why are we in exile? Why are we here? What's going on? Why is this happening to us? Do we have any hope for the future? And Ezekiel's call was to walk alongside those exiles and try to help them process through those questions. And the first part of the book is largely about Ezekiel telling them that the reason why you're in exile is because God is judging you. God has seen your sin. He's seen your rebellion and he's judging you. He is upset with you. Then things shift in the book because Jerusalem falls and the Babylon, Babylonians totally destroy uh, the, the city of Jerusalem and the temple. And so now the people understand what has happened. God has judged us. God has forsaken us. We see what's happening. And so then Ezekiel starts to offer them some hope. And in chapters 34 through 37, probably some of the best chapters in the book of Ezekiel, he offers hope 
to the people, that someday God is going to restore his people. And as we talked about yesterday, he's going to take the dead bones that are in the valley and he's going to breathe new life into them by his spirit. Well, chapters 38 and 39 come after that. And so if you want to follow along in the timeline, Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a prophecy about something that's going to happen after God's God restores his people, his broken people. Well, you think about who is God's restored people. Well, that's us, the church, right? That through the power of the Spirit, through Jesus, we have been restored in the new covenant to where we are God's restored people. And so chapters 38 and 39 are about something that's going to happen to God's restored people. Well, what is this prophecy about? In Ezekiel 38 and 39, we have this prophecy about a guy named Gog of Magog. Anyone heard of Gog of Magog? Raise your hand if you've ever heard. Oh, John has. That's good. A couple. Good. Wow. Y'all are, y'all are with studied your Bibles. That's good. That there's this guy named Gog of Magog, and he is going to develop an alliance of six nations. And uh, let me go back here. You might not be able to see this real quickly, real clearly, but this is a list of the six nations. Um, I can't even see that real clearly. So if I can, you probably can't. (laughs) That there's Persia, there's Cush, there's Put, there's Beth Togerma, uh, there is Tubal, and there is Meshach, I believe is all of the ones there. I don't know if I said six or not. But The prophecy is about this guy named Gog of Magog who's going to develop an alliance of six nations and he is going to attack God's people. He's going to take all of his uh, strategies and all of the ability that he has and he is going to get these nations together to attack God's people. That's what Ezekiel 38 is describing. Now, this brings up some big questions that interpreters have struggled to answer. And the questions are, number one, who is Gog of Magog? And number two, when is this attack going to happen? And, and, and there are some interpreters who say, well, this attack is going to happen at the end of time. And so what Ezekiel is talking about is how there's going to be some, some nations come together and there's going to be this big cataclysmic war and they tie it into Revelation 20 and some other passages. And there's going to be this Armageddon where there's this huge group of people that attack God's people and the world ends. Now, that's not my perspective of what's going on, but there's some people out there who say that. But that doesn't make sense to me because why would Ezekiel be telling that to the exiles? That doesn't make any sense. And then there are other people who try to pinpoint who this Gog of Magog is, and they, and they come up with all of these ideas of who Gog of Magog is. And so there are some who say, well, maybe he was this 7th century Assyrian king. I don't think that's who Gog of Magog is, because we're talking about a time in the Babylonian period. Why would it be an Assyrian king? There are some people who think, well, maybe they rep- Gog of Magog represents the Goths, or the Turks, or even Germans, or Russians, or even radical Islamists. In other words, different interpreters have said, maybe Gog of Magog, this alliance of nations, are the enemies, are the people that we're afraid of right now. But I don't think that Gog of Magog represents any of these people. Here's my take on Ezekiel 38. 
that we have this prophecy about this king who's going to get this alliance of nations and attack God's people, that the important thing is not who Gog of Magog is. The important thing is what Gog of Magog represents. And what does Gog of Magog represent? You think about this alliance of nations that's going to attack God's people. What he represents is enemies of God's people. And that what Ezekiel is prophesying in this chapter, there, there's going to be a time after God restores his people when there are going to be enemies who attack God's people. Doesn't that happen to us all the time? Don't we have enemies who attack us, things that attack us in various ways, in various times and in various scenarios? When was the last time that you felt like you were being spiritually attacked? It comes in different ways. A Christian lady who's faithfully serving the Lord and she goes to the doctor and she hears the word cancer. A young family that's trying to follow God and then the husband gets dragged away by temptation and commits an affair. A, a good deacon who's doing his best to do ministry and then gets criticized by someone else in the congregation and gets discouraged. A missionary family who has a passion for wanting to spread the gospel overseas only to find that one of their children contracts a disease. These are attacks. These are attacks. These are attacks where, that are coming upon the people of God, whether it's divorce, whether it's disease, whether it's depression, whether it's discouragement, whether it's a feeling of failure, whether it's temptation, whether it's a drug relapse, or whether it's depression or any other kind of thing, we know what this is. We know when this happens, that this is like the church going about their business, doing what they can, serving the Lord, and they turn around and there's a bear ready to attack. And we know where these attacks come from, right? We know that all of these attacks originate from Satan himself. The Bible tells us that he is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And at the time when you least expect it, at the time when you think everything is going great, he is ready to attack. And maybe this morning, that's where you are right now. You are under attack from Satan himself. That's exactly what Ezekiel prophesied, that there's going to be a time when God's people least expect it, when God's people think everything is going great. And there's going to be this alliance of nations that's going to attack. And we know who he's referring to. He's talking about Satan. And what do you do when you're attacked? The key question that the exiles were asking and the key question of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is this question right here. What is God going to do when his restored people are going to be attacked? What does God do when we're under attack? What does God do when Satan does his worst to you? 
What does God do? The Israelites are, were wondering about this question because when the Babylonians attacked, God said, I'm not here. I'm not going to protect you. And so they're wondering, okay, God, if you're going to restore us, if you're going to bring us back together, if you're going to breathe your spirit into us and give us life, what are you going to do the next time that we're attacked? Are you going to wash your hands and say, sorry, guys, I can't help you? What are you going to do? What does God do when his people are attacked? And the answer to that question is found in Ezekiel chapter 39. In Ezekiel 39, verse 25, and I want you to notice this with me. It says this. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will now bring Jacob back from captivity and will have compassion on all the people of Israel. I'll be zealous for my holy name. There's only one time in the book of Ezekiel where God says that he has compassion on his people. Only one time. And it's right here, Ezekiel 39, 25. What does God do when his people are attacked? I'll tell you what God does. God has mercy on his people. God has mercy on his people. He rises up and he acts on behalf of his people. He defends his people. He stands up for you and me. He stands up for the church and he protects us against Satan. That doesn't mean that that at any time that we're attacked by Satan, that that everything is going to go great and we're going to have comfort and we're never going to have any pain. That's not what this is about. Instead, what this verse is about is that when, when the enemy attacks us, one thing that we can be assured of is that the final word is that God is going to bring victory. He's going to bring victory. And if you read through chapter 38 and 39, and I encourage you to do that, you're going to see how this whole attack from Gog of Magog and this alliance of nations, it was a complete flop that they came with their great military strategies and with their great weapons, and they decided that they were going to come and attack God's people when they least expected it. But God rose up and God protected his people and it was a complete flop and God wiped them away. And that's a reminder to us as the people of God today. It's a reminder to us as Christians that when Satan comes and attacks us, when he attacks you, when he attacks me, I can know what God is going to do. God's going to have mercy on us and he's going to stand up on our behalf and he's going to give us victory. Y'all say amen around here? Okay, just, just, just checking. This was the message that... John was offering those early Christians who lived in Asia in the book of Revelation. They were under attack. They were under attack, experiencing persecution, and they were asking God, how long, O Lord, do you hear our cries? Do you hear our pleas? We're under attack over here. Can you you help us? And the message of Revelation was, I hear your cry and I hear your plea. I'm going to have mercy on you and I'm going to give you victory. Doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. Doesn't mean that you might not have to give your life for your faith. But the end of the story is victory for God's people. That God has mercy on us when we're under attack and the final word that we're going to have is always victory. Now the unique twist of Ezekiel 38 and 39 
is why God does this. Why does God show mercy upon us when we are attacked and work to give us victory? It's not just because he loves us. He does love us. But it's not just because he loves us. It's not just because he hates the evil one and he hates evil. He does hate evil. But it's not just because of that. Instead, Ezekiel 39 tells us there's another reason why God has mercy on us and gives us victory in the midst of an attack. I want you to notice what it says starting in verse 21 of chapter 39. It says this, I will display my glory among the nations and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and the hand I lay upon them. And then you skip on down to verse 27. When I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind, and I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord." Here's what God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to rise up and protect my people when they're under attack. I'm going to do this because I want to declare my glory among the nations. I want to show myself holy. I want to use this moment as an opportunity to show the rest of the world who I am and how awesome that I am. One thing we talked about yesterday is that the whole point of the book of Ezekiel if you were to boil it down into one sentence, is that God wants Israel and the rest of the world to know who he is. And everything that God does, whether he calls, whether he sends, whether he retracts his presence, or whether he brings his presence, it's always for this missionary purpose so that the whole world will come to know him. And God is saying that right here. He's saying, when my people are attacked, I'm going to stand up for my people. I'm going to have mercy on my people. I'm going to give my people victory, but I'm going to do it for this purpose so that the world will see how awesome and how glorious I am. I will take this moment when my people are under attack and I will turn that moment into a, chan- into a time where I can show the world how awesome I am. Maybe the best example of what I'm describing here is the cross. Think about the cross of Jesus. That was the ultimate attack of Satan, where Satan takes the Son of God and through the use of religious leaders, murders him. It was the greatest attack that Satan could offer. And then what does God do? He takes that moment of attack And he turns it around to where it becomes a platform for his glory to be demonstrated to the whole world. To where now, when we look at the cross, we say that is the greatest moment in all history, right? It was an attack by Satan, but we see it as the greatest moment in history. Why? Because that was the place where God defeated Satan and where our sins were atoned for. And God can do the same thing in our lives. And so when we hear that word cancer, we don't quit praying. Or when a loved one falls to temptation, we don't quit loving. Or when we experience grief, we don't quit worshiping. 
or when we experience discouragement and criticism. We don't quit serving because whatever it is that we're going through, whatever attack that we are experiencing, God can use that. He can use it as a platform to bring his glory to the rest of the world. I believe that. That whatever comes our way, even if it's Gog of Magog and his alliance of nations, he can use it as a platform to demonstrate his glory to the rest of the world. Maybe a contemporary example of what I'm talking about is my friends uh, Kent and Amber Brantley who worship with us at Southside in Fort Worth. You might know that name, Kent Brantley. He was, he's a physician. We sent them as missionaries to Liberia to work in a missionary hospital there just outside of Monrovia. And a couple years ago is when this all happened and the Ebola epidemic broke out and they were there serving in that missionary hospital and they were trying to treat Ebola patients and in the process, Kent uh, contracted Ebola. He was one of the first Americans uh, to, to get Ebola. He was the first American to have Ebola on American soil when he was brought back to Atlanta just a few miles down the road. But we believed at Southside, when that happened, that was the attack of Satan, when he got Ebola. That was the attack of the enemy. And we prayed and we prayed, and maybe some of you even prayed here when you heard the story, because it was all over the news. We prayed that God would heal him and bring him back, because he was our friend, our brother, and he was serving the Lord. He was doing... Uh, service work in the name of Jesus and Satan attacked. He attacked through Ebola. And if you follow the story, you know that, that he was able to take an experimental drug and through that experimental drug and through the power of God, he was able to recover. They brought him back here to Emory Hospital in Atlanta and that's where he finished his recovery. Y'all remember this story that I'm talking about? What happened in the process, in the process of this attack by Satan, God started to use that as a platform for his glory to go to the rest of the world. And so all of a sudden, this became a hot news item story. And all of a sudden, attention started going to West Africa. And all of a sudden, people started caring about the thousands of people who were dying in West Africa. And the glory of God was being demonstrated to the rest of the world. And I think maybe the best example of this is when Kent was fully recovered and he was discharged from uh, Emory Hospital. They had a press conference. And, and Kent told me later, he said, I, I thought when they told me we were going to have a press conference, I thought I was going to walk in and there's going to be about four or five reporters and I'd give them a little statement and I would just move on. And he said, when I walked in the room, that whole room was filled with reporters from all over the world. And, and, and they wanted that statement to be on live television. I remember when they were, when they were going to give that statement, I was in a, a library. Actually, it was, a, it was a, one of the, the Southwestern Baptist Seminary Library in Fort Worth. I was doing some studying, and I was going to watch this on my computer when they was getting ready to give this statement, and they shut down the library because they were having some event on campus, and they made me leave. I said, you can't make me leave. Kent Brantley is getting to give a statement here. They didn't show me any sympathy. Uh, they said, you got to get out. Okay. 
but it was broadcast live on television. And do you know how many people saw his statement? A statement where he talked about God and how God had healed him and how he was there in the name of the Lord and how he loved his church and all these things, spiritual kinds of things. You know how many people saw his statement? 18 million. 18 million people. Satan attacked through Ebola and God was bigger than that attack and he used that attack as a platform for his glory to shine throughout the whole world. And 18 million people learned how awesome our God is. And it continues. There's a movie that's coming out on March the 30th. I looked up online. It's only going to be shown in Birmingham. But I encourage you to watch that movie because it's a powerful movie called Facing Darkness, another opportunity for the glory of God to be demonstrated. But that's how good our God is. That whatever an attack comes our way, God is bigger than that attack and he will use it for his glory. You got cancer? God's bigger than it and he can use it for his glory. You're struggling with depression? God's bigger than it and he can use it for his glory. You're dealing with an addiction. God's bigger than it and he can use it for his glory. You're discouraged. You're downtrodden. God's bigger than whatever's discouraging you and he can use it for your glory. We join with Paul, church, and we say it doesn't matter whether life or death, whether things in the present or the future, angels or demons or powers or anything else or Gog of Magog and his alliance nations, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus because whatever it may be, God's bigger than it and he can use it for his glory. That's the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39. That when the evil one attacks, God's going to protect us and he'll use it for his glory. When I think about this, what time do I need to be done, by the way? 10 minutes? Okay, oh, we're doing great. I'll keep going then. When I think about Ezekiel 38 and 39, I think about an episode that happened in my life about 11 or 12 years ago when my wife and I and my sister and a couple other college students from the University of Memphis went on a short-term mission trip to Mumbai, India. We went there to work with a missionary named Craig Phillips. And part of the reason why we were there was to do a vacation Bible school for children. And we had been very public in our vacation Bible school that we were teaching about Jesus. And there were some people in the area where we were teaching who did not like what we were doing. There were some, we think, radical Hindus who were very upset about what was going on. And so they came the last night of our vacation Bible school and they came to shut us down. And they told us we needed to get out of that building where we were holding our vacation Bible school. And we closed that building with this big garage-like door and they were threatening to shut that door down on top of us. And so we hurried and we grabbed all of our material, materials and we rushed out of the building. And I assumed that everything would just calm down because we've stopped our vacation Bible school. We've, we've shut things down. We'll just go about our business. But these men, they were still very upset. And they grabbed the missionary Craig Phillips and they pulled him in the middle of all. And they said, who are you and where are you from? And where's your passport? And what have you been teaching here? 
And then pretty soon they grabbed another American and they grabbed me and they pulled me in and they said, who are you and where are you from and what have you been teaching here? What's your pass- where's your passport? They said, you three men, you come with us. And they walked us down this road. There's about 25 of the, of the men that were there. They walked us down this road till we came to a crossroads. And on one side was a Hindu temple and, on, and they had us stand on the other side. And then they grabbed me and there was this motorized rickshaw, which is kind of like a go-kart. And they use them in India to get around. They grabbed me and they put me in this motorized rickshaw and had one guy on one side and one guy on the other and a guy in front and, and we take off. And we drive down this road for about a mile and there aren't any houses around. There aren't any shops around. There aren't any people around. It's just dark. And I'm thinking, what are these guys going to do to me? I was thinking I was going to die. And my body's going to be dumped in a field in India. And nobody's ever going to (laughs) know about what happened to that American boy. And they started, they, they pulled over and they started ridiculing me and making fun of me and they searched my backpack and found I had a Bible. Oh, read this to us. They were ridiculing me. And this went on for a little while until finally one of them pulled me out of that rickshaw and said, got in my face, he said, don't ever come back here again and don't ever teach what you've been teaching again. Get out of here. And I just grabbed my backpack and stuff and I just started walking Walked for a little ways, found another motorized rickshaw, flagged that rickshaw and, and, and got in and he t- I knew where the others were. He took me back to where the others were and I was able to get back to safety. And a little bit later, the, the other two Americans got back and, and, and they were safe as well. God had protected us that night. And after that experience, I was standing there next to the missionary, Craig Phillips, who actually later became my brother-in-law which that's a whole other story. And he said, Steve, I can see it right now. What? I can see it right now. I can see people being baptized. I can see people coming to the Lord. I can see churches being started all because of what happened tonight. And I remember thinking when he said that, all I'm seeing is getting on a plane going back to America, okay? (laughs) But reflecting on it now, He was right. Because that night, we were attacked. Satan attacked us that night. We were teaching in the name of Jesus and Satan attacked us to stop us. When we least expected, we were riding our bike through the woods, enjoying our little short-term mission trip and we turn around and there was a bear ready to attack us. And God had mercy on us that day. And he gave us victory. He protected us. And he's going to use that moment and he has been using that moment as an opportunity to show his glory to the rest of the world. Because that's the way God works. That when Gog of Magog and his alliance of nations does its worst to God's people, God steps up and he protects us and he uses what we're going through for his glory to be made known. And so if you're going through a difficult time right now, if you're being attacked spiritually right now, or if someone in your family is being attacked right now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to look downward. I don't want you to have self-pity. I want you to look up to God and say, God, I know you're bigger than what I'm going through. And how are you gonna use this? Because you're gonna use it.
How are you going to use it? Because I know you're going to use it. And so use it for your glory. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge that we are fallible humans and we, we do have fear and we do have anxiety and we do worry that someday we're going to turn around and we're going to see that bear ready to attack us. And we know that Satan right now does not like what's going on here and he is prowling around trying to devour every single one of us here and he is plotting right now with the best tools available to him. He is plotting right now on how he can drag us down and attack us. And maybe, Lord, there are some of us here that it was hard for us to get here and we don't have a lot of joy this morning because we're just under attack. And Lord, help us to remember this wonderful prophecy from Ezekiel 39 that, that when we're under attack, you have mercy on us. You come to our aid. You rise up and protect your people. And that the ultimate answer and the ultimate end to the story is that you win. You give victory. We don't need to be afraid, Lord, because you bring victory. And Lord, help us to remember that whatever we're going through, you can use it. You can use it for your glory. And so, Lord, help us to be the faithful witness. Help us to take whatever struggle that we're going through and to give it to you and let you use it to declare your glory to the rest of the world. This is our prayer, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.